This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. How quickly China has grown. The most recent example is an impressive new technological area, which is drawing attention from countries around the globe. But in order to become part of it, apparently special conditions are being asked of uh, those companies that want to be involved. And that news has drawn the ire of the U.S. tech sector in some respects, which is also in turn drawn concern from at least one member of uh, one new member of the U.S. government. To explain more about what's happening here, we welcome back Wharton Assistant Professor Minwan Zhao, as well as Penn Professor of Law and Political Science Jacques Delisle. Great to have you both back in the studio. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for Thank having you. us. Uh, this is interesting. Let's go into the background, uh, Minwan, as to exactly what the standards are that China wants from these companies to even be involved in this these bigger projects. Well, I think the details are still ongoing. You know, right now it's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, you see on media that you know more laws are being drawn, but uh, it's really three. Everyone focus on the the protectionism part, but I think this is really a three way play here. Um, the first one is now China can say no to mm-hmm. the foreign companies now. You know, previously you have to use IBM system, you have to use a Cisco system, and now you know if we're talking about necessary and the you know sufficient condition, now they have the necessary condition. They right. they, they can rely on their own systems, and. I do research on innovation. I talk with a lot of engineers in different companies, including multinationals like Ericsson, Cisco, and so on. Yeah. And they were like, if you can accuse Huawei of abusing their workers, <laughs> you can accuse Huawei of overtime and sending their uh, employees to war zones, to remote areas, to desperate regions, but you cannot accuse them for working too hard and get things, getting things done. So uh, there is, you know, everyone, I, I agree there's certainly the political aspect, but there is the, the fact that the Chinese companies are getting pretty competent. And then there is the protectionist part, the, that's the economic calculation. I'm for competition. You know, yeah. I think a free competition is good for everyone. But the idea of keeping the money in your country is so appealing that mm-hmm. U.S. has done that. Every country in the world has been doing that again and again and again. So, um, uh, and the thirdly, of course, is is politics. Uh, <laughs> I often joke in class: if there's anything bipartisan, uh, it's the China bastion before election, <laughs> uh, and. I was teaching the world economy class when um, the House Intelligence Committee issued yeah. the report against Huawei and the ZTE. Yeah. And uh, the word used in the report is that we suspect, right, there's high suspicion. Yeah. And if Chinese government wants to install something, they could have it done. I was like, that's not economy. That's not technology. Of course it's right? not. So, you know, China is in the same situation with a new president trying to, you know, establish its 
legitimacy, you know, if GDP growth is the, the base of the legitimacy in the previous regime, now yeah. it's China dream, you know, self-confidence. And so this is being used as part of the tools to, uh, to establish the legitimacy. Jacques? It, it, it's it's an interesting situation going on over there right now. Yeah, definitely is. Um, we are seeing some legal and regulatory changes, which is what spurred the latest round of concern. Uh, it, it is a question of how wide the wedge is going to get. I mean, the front end is fairly small. It's about banking technology yeah. and, and getting access to <clears throat> bank records. <clears throat> but the concern is that that will expand into a broader range of disclosure requirements. Um, now, you know, the, the, the way Chinese regulatory authorities have approached this, I think in some sense have taken a page from the American political playbook, which is you, you claim it's a national security concern. Sure. Um, and indeed, although the banking uh, regs are fairly uh, specific, much of the justification for it has been we need to track uh, where money is coming and going for national security reasons. And there's been a case going on in the U.S. now in New York about the Bank of China uh, being accused of being part of a money laundering uh, thing for Palestinian terrorist groups. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, that that's the same kind of justification <laughs> we've seen in this country for, for opening uh, what had previously been thought private electronic data. And China's now in the process of drafting an anti-terrorism law, and it's going to be a very broad definition of terrorism and one that puts heavy obligations on companies to cooperate in investigations. Uh, again, that's not an unfamiliar story on this yeah. side of the Pacific either. I guess we shouldn't be surprised that, uh, of the approach uh, of the U.S government because, uh, and, and for those people that don't know, the trade representative uh, to China made some statements about these new regulations that, that would come into play uh, in dealing with the banking. And as you said, if that does go forward, then it could be the, the first step in several steps. Uh, but the companies themselves understand that, that China is, is an unbelievably large market that they can even grow further in. Uh, and maybe very willing to, I mean, they they have in some cases opened up their records. So why wouldn't they open them up, you know, continually with with a new president and new regulations in place? I think there's a lot that's pushing in that direction. I mean, companies of almost any significant scale will tell you they can't afford not to be in China. Yeah, yeah. And that's partly a matter of the huge Chinese market. I mean, more internet users than there are in the U.S., huge and growing computer penetration. It's It's like double the U.S., is it not? Yeah, that and, and cell phone usage is way above. I mean, everything that is tech-related, yeah. uh, the sheer end, you know, because of the size of the population and the, and the rapidity of, of economic growth, and a, con a conscious push to move up the technology chain. I mean, there's a sense that China's got an aging population, a pretty well-educated population, to keep the, uh, the, the economic good times rolling. There's a conscious policy of creating what they call an innovation economy, which means moving up uh, the ladder to more tech-intensive, more knowledge-intensive undertakings. Yeah. Uh, and that means building national companies as well as welcoming foreigners in. But from the foreigner, foreign companies' perspective, you know, they want to sell there. Yep. Uh, services and goods. They want to transfer some R&D there because you can get good engineers for pretty cheap. Sure, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so you want to be present for that. Um, and there is a concern that uh, that they're facing increasing protectionism, one might call it. I mean, I think that's, that's a fair description of some of what's going on. But even short of protectionism, you know, Xi Jinping has very much uh, followed his predecessor's commitment to innovation and is something of an economic nationalist. He wants to see Chinese companies do well. They're doing well anyway, yeah. but the government wants to see them do a, a even better. And I think there is kind of an uneasy feeling 
feeling in Silicon Valley toward the Obama administration, right? They, they've, <laughs> they've knocked heads on more than a few things. Yeah. So I think it's, it's, a, it's a queasy alliance for uh, the tech companies <laughs> to be turning to the administration saying, come help us out. Oh, by the way, well, we're still ticked off at you about all the, uh, the, the things you've done that, that we don't like in terms of, of uh, data security and not telling us where the threats are coming from and things like that. But, but it's still, it's still realistically an untapped market is China. I mean, there's certainly been great development, but there's so much more that could be done in the next several years. Well, um, the growth potential is huge, and uh, it, ultimately, it's a business calculation. Sure, right? yeah. You think yeah. about the possible IP laws and uh, you know potential exposure to uh, data security and so on once you comply to the rules. And, and on the other hand, you think about the potential loss of business and, and so on. So it's, it's ultimately a trade-off that businesses have to face. You know, one thing that I would like to point out is that the companies know very well if they don't enter, it's not like they're going to keep the technology edge, sure. right? Yeah. Even if they don't disclose anything to the Chinese government, Internet is a highway. Yeah, yeah. Information is being leaked, as we see, and uh, you know there are imitations, they're copying, there are, you know all kinds, of, and people are catching up very quickly. So even if you close it to yourself, two years later, you're no longer the front runner. You know, you might as well just to take this opportunity and run. So um, I'm not going to speak to any of the uh, technology companies, but it's yeah. the calculation that every firm has to make. And, and the yeah. interesting thing, I guess, is that for the technology companies themselves. Uh, as Jacques kind of alluded to, they're in an interesting little middle point right here because they know that they would love to do business, even more business, in China. Uh, they have to be, in some respects, beholden to what's going on here in the United States. They don't like having what they've had to go through here in the United States with providing data and, and all of that information. Mm -hmm. uh, but they all, you know, they're stuck between what the Chinese government expects and what the United States government expects. It's an interesting little spot that they're that they're in right now. Well, we call it an institutional environment, right? This is the the political uncertainty firms um, are dealing with, and I think for most multinational companies, they've seen that. Um, again, um, you know, there is a lot of nationalistic. Uh, there's emotion bubbling on both sides yeah. uh, of the Pacific, but uh, firms have the models to to control risks. They don't. They know how to do their calculations. Uh, for some companies that are trying to keep relevant, you know, in the competition, yeah. um, they cannot afford to stay away. And yeah. there's a real tug of war going on here. I mean, yeah. the companies really are, as you say, caught somewhat in the middle. Yeah. So what you're seeing on the Chinese side, um, or at least companies' complaints about the environment they're now dealing with in China, is uh, particularly zealous, some would say, selective and highly biased enforcement of certain Chinese laws against foreign companies. So mm -hmm. you're seeing the anti-monopoly law uh, being used in the context of so-called patent abuse. That was what loomed behind the Qualcomm settlement, where they, sure, yeah. they said, thank you, can I pay $2 billion yeah. and move on now? Yeah. Um, and, and there are concerns going back to Google a couple years ago about not getting your license renewed. So there are a lot yeah. of levers uh, that China has. And you know, these things are rarely transparently um, you know, abusive or political because there is a lot of discretion and enforcement. And yeah. companies in China certainly do do things that are questionable under Chinese law. And then you see the pressure on the other side. And I think we've seen this ramping up from the US side uh, against these companies uh, you know, leaking too much valuable technology against being complicit in some of what the Chinese government wants. So you see, I think, 
you know, the Obama uh, ploy was essentially to say, I don't think they do that. It's intent yeah. to, to shame them into the don't be evil uh, ethos. <laughs> uh, and, of course, when you get the kind of disputes we're seeing now, they wind up going up to government-to-government level. And sure, when that, yeah. whether it's through the WTO or whether it's through Xi-Obama dialogue or something, um, you really need that kind of support. So there's a sense of if you don't cooperate, you may not get... Uh, full uh, backing. So I think there's this real tension here. And, and the U.S. government has levers, too. I mean, in the extreme, it could it could actually take significant sanctions against uh, companies. But the, the, the softer leverage is, how zealous are we going to be in pressing your interests? Yeah. And how much are we going to do things like, say, if you want to sell to the U.S. government, Nextel, Sprint, whatever, you can't use Huawei-made handsets because right. we're concerned about our being in that. Now, one of the problems here, of course, is both sides have a bit of a glass house problem, right? Sure, <laughs> there's, yeah, yeah. There's a fair amount of, of backdoors and traps and card hacking and all this other stuff uh, that has everybody saying, I don't care where I buy it from. It's just a question of who's spying on me. Sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, and, and the Qualcomm case is interesting in itself that 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 they basically understood that, I guess, in some respects, the lesser of the two evils was to pay the two billion dollars and move on with their business. You know, Qualcomm case is interesting because Qualcomm is collecting a lot of royalty every year from China. Yeah. And it depends on how China defines intellectual property rights, right? Yeah. You know, intellectual, uh, say intellectual property rights is like dumping in the old days. You see the steel um, dumping case against each other. China is yeah. accusing U.S. of dumping. U.S. is accusing China of dumping because the definition, the exact calculation of cost is very vague. And as a result, for industries with economies of scale, yeah. um, it's anyone's judgment whether you're dumping or not. Now, fast forward to today, it's information technology. right? What is considered a proper intellectual property right? What is on and what is not? Um, IP is the national law, you know, it's sure. how China write IP law and how China wants, of course, there's uh, WTO and there's TRIPS, but still, it's a national law, you know, with a lot of tweaks in it. So I think Qualcomm is very well aware of the fact that it's simply being there collecting royalty and yeah. uh, any change of the law will, will affect that. So, th so then that really does o open up the, the pathway when you hear President Obama say, well, I, you know, I don't think these companies will be willing to do this, uh, that, that realistically these companies understand that, that maybe that Qualcomm path might end up being the best way to handle the business in this situation. Yeah, I think it sort of depends on what the this is. I mean, so yeah. what is it that we're worried about? Yeah. Uh, to some extent, the question is building in devices and revealing source code, and you know, whether it's a hardware or software thing, that allows a government that many Americans view quite rightly as repressive of political dissent and yep. of certain viewpoints, that it builds ways of going after those people. And that was what had you know, Yahoo and, and Google and everybody dragged before Congress, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and the, the ISPs a few years ago, and that still looms. And that was part of what went on with Google a couple of years ago when it moved its search engine uh, to Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, so there's that. There's a concern about spying on the U.S. in effect, not necessarily sure. the government, but commercial uh, uh, secrets that we're worried about, as well as perhaps government secrets. And then you've got this this uh, uncompensated or uh, extractive transfer of intellectual property, which you can do through these, these mechanisms. And then you get this concern about what is essentially a sneaky and soft form of protectionism, saying if you don't agree to transfer, you're going to be closed out of this market. Yeah. Um, you know, hard, so, so the, I think the, the Obama play works better with the top end of that list, 
where it's about stifling dissent and things like that. It gets a little tougher as you get down to what are essentially commercial decisions by companies that may be U.S.-based, but they have shareholders all over the world. They have responsibilities yeah. to them, and they're making ultimately business decisions. Now, they're playing politics, too. As Minion was saying, they go to the U.S. government and say, we have these concerns. And they got, you know, they got uh, four cabinet-level secretaries to weigh in in a formal letter on these <laughs> regs, and they've got Obama himself giving interviews. That's, that's you know, pretty high for politics. You also have, obviously, the, uh, the, the problem that the U.S. have had recently uh, in terms of their espionage program, which has come out. Uh, I don't know if any of these new regulations would have changed if that espionage program had not been made public, uh, because I think the, the, the assumption is, is that everybody kind of spies on everybody. You know, uh, uh, well, what, what, Snowden made this obvious, well, right? <laughs> and that, exactly, and that was the other thing yeah. I wanted to bring up is yeah. that Edward Snowden making the comments that he has made just kind of enhanced this even more. Yeah, so I think there are a lot of reasons why Chinese feel cynical about the whole thing and about the protest coming from the U.S. Um, when I think two years ago, twenty. Uh, in 2012, when the the report against Huawei came out, sure, yeah. um, as I said, I was teaching the class. So I followed it closely, and there are all these, you know, former CIA officials coming out and say, "Oh, yeah, we have to be cautious because it's very easy to install those spywares on the equipment. Yeah. You know, it's very obvious they know very clearly how to do that." And uh, um, the question is, you know whether a Chinese equipment will make it easier or more difficult for spyware to be to be installed. And I think the technical conclusion, as I understand at that time, is um, basically if you want to install software spyware, you know, you can do that on any equipment. Yeah. And so this is being used, the fact that, oh, Chinese equipment is more likely to carry Chinese spyware is being used as the reason for American companies to be cautious yeah. you know, against this. And then the next year, Snowden case you yeah. know, came out showing, okay, no wonder the former CIA officials say it's very easy to install spyware because they're very experienced in doing that. And uh, so um, now when you see the policies from China, uh, coming up, and you know, I've been following all these comments on the internet, most people just use these um, precedents and say, hey, this is the fact of the world now. Well, and, and how much, uh, you alluded to it before, but how much of a factor is uh, the approach that President Xi wants to have with China going forward in terms of understanding that innovation is the key, uh, building up that that part of the economy is so important. Uh, not only for uh, the, the the future trade with other countries, but the future growth of China as well. Well, as I said, I believe in free competition. I think yeah. if she really wants to promote innovation, open up for competition. You know, yeah. Huawei did not thrive because of protectionism. Huawei thrived because it's competing with everyone in the world. Um, so. I really don't think either because somebody misunderstood economics or yeah. there's something else going on. Uh, the same thing else is usually the case, um, both in the U.S. and anywhere in the world. Uh, there are interest groups, yeah. right? Somebody yeah. will benefit from the protectionist policies and somebody will lose. And if those who will benefit are more vocal, you know, they get uh, what they want. Um, and then on top of that, I think the rhetoric, the, the fact that he needs to establish 
the legitimacy sure. on the China dream, on the independence, on the self-confidence, and all these words indicate a policy tilted towards you know self-dependence. So, um, and whether or not he, you know, this is truly where the economic path is going to be, I don't know. But there's a lot of political legitimacy built in there. Jacques. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I think you see a bunch of different things going on on the economic side. Obviously, if you can get valuable intellectual property for free, that's a huge boon to the companies and, and to the country that sees those companies as its companies to some degree. So yeah. where we're seeing um, pressure for transferring technology as a price of being present or where we're seeing state complicit theft of valuable commercial secrets, yeah. uh, you know, that's obviously a nice little subsidy. And a free subsidy doesn't cost the government that much aside from whatever role it plays in the spying. Yeah. Uh, when you get to the question of selective enforcement of anti-monopoly law to protect your companies against possible competition, or when you see other barriers to entry, you know, licensing uh, harassment or, or, or burdens of audits and so on, yeah. you know, that has more distorting economic effects. That essentially makes it harder for foreign companies mm-hmm. that could compete effectively to compete. So I think those are two rather uh, different effects. But I think in terms of the political atmosphere that Minion was talking about, I mean, yeah, there is really a glass houses problem on both sides here, right? And yeah. so, you know, the Mandiant report comes out that's pretty damning about the spying that goes on from China trying to capture IP of all sorts, as well as hacking into government secrets. Um, you know, we, we talked about the Snowden revelations, the SIM card uh, news from uh, last month. Yep. Uh, so, you know, there's understandable cynicism all the way around on this. Uh, and the question is, sort of, how much does that level the playing field? And I think it has made it much easier for China to take the position of, you know, you're doing it too. Uh, and I think that, that you see people like Liu Wei the, at the, at the, uh, the sort of principal uh, tech regulator, internet regulator in China, yeah. and, and Xi Jinping himself. You see people sort of saying, you know, you've got no standing here because you're doing something equivalent. I think that's made it very, very hard. Um, and you know, Obama, to his, uh, his credit in terms of his policy goal, tried to disentangle the kind of spying that all countries do for national security and political <laughs> reasons from spying for commercial advantages as somehow the, the latter is off the table. But that's slicing the salami a little thin, especially since one of the concerns we've had throughout this whole debate is dual-use technology. Sure, I mean, we're no yeah, longer in a world yeah. where economically, commercially valuable stuff has no defense applications or mm-hmm. vice versa. And yeah. the U.S. should certainly understand that given how much defense department tech investment is responsible for the internet and many other things yeah. uh, we live on today. So then is it a fairly safe assumption then that uh, most likely we will see uh, all these tech companies kind of follow the requests of the Chinese government and and go forward? Well, I think it's an individual business decision. You know, you would see companies deciding to go because it's too big a cake to give up. And, um, you know, based on my own studies, there are different layers of technologies companies can craft. And I've seen large multinational companies being forced by Chinese uh, government to set up R&D centers. And Mm -hmm. they're doing active R&D there, but they can choose to the different type of R&D, you know, with certain key aspects kept, you know, at headquarters. And you see companies color code every information. And you see joint ventures in which, you know, I was in the auto industry where VW would hand up all the blueprints of their designs (laughs) because that's required by the government. And guess what? The Chinese cannot replicate it. So it's notorious that, you know, patent documents is useless until the the inventor has the true intention to tell you how to do it. Um, so I think businesses have a lot of choices here. First, they can choose whether or not to comply. Yeah. And second, they can choose how to apply. 
And, you know, there are so many layers in today's technologies that you may not be able to follow exactly what they're um, doing, even though as if you've given, uh, been given this everything. So uh, I think it's the individual business choice. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, the yeah. companies are going to do their cost-benefit analyses. And if you've got technology that, that they're going to ca- catch up with you on anyway, that's one thing. How important is it to be able to sell in the China market? Yeah. I mean, really very idiosyncratic choices. The big question going forward is what happens when Chinese companies have really valuable patents, which they're starting to have. Jacques, great to have you here. Minwan, great to see you again. Thanks very much for coming in. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.